0: As we say goodbye to January of 2020, let me be among the first to say welcome to February. Welcome to month two of the all-new year-round Christmas past, and welcome aboard, because we're getting ready to embark on a new globe-trotting Christmas adventure with our far-flung correspondent Chantal Joy Otto from allthingschristmas.com. Christmas Around the World is a monthly series where Chantel and her special guests give us an inside look at the histories and traditions that make Christmas special and unique in the places it's celebrated. And maybe along the way, you'll find inspiration to try something new for yourself this year and beyond. If you haven't heard Chantel's previous episodes about Japan and Canada, check them out. They're easy to find in your podcast feed because all episode titles in this series begin with the words, Christmas Around the World. Now make sure you pack an umbrella for today's trip, and probably a cozy jumper, too. That's a sweater to you and me, but not where we're going. Yes, we're headed to the UK, and England specifically, the place that gave us most of the Christmas traditions we practice here today. Even traditions that are German in origin, like the Christmas tree, were popularized in England. There are several episodes of Christmas Past where I touch on the English influence from different angles. Check out the ones about Christmas dinner, Charles Dickens, wrapping paper, and fruitcake, just to name a few. Even though we've taken so many traditions from the UK, there are several that never quite found their footing here in America. So let's dive right in with Chantelle and her guest, Nadine. I'll be back later to wrap things up, but for now, pour yourself some tea to enjoy with some biscuits, and let's learn about Christmas in the UK.
1: As many of you already know, I am Canadian, but moved to London in 2016, so I do have a bit of experience with British Christmases. In this episode, I'll be talking about mostly English and Scottish traditions, as they compare to North American ones. I'll be saving Irish traditions for another episode. We should probably start with a bit of interesting Christmas history, in particular, the ban of Christmas in the 1600s. If you listened to the Christmas Pass episode, The War on Christmas, you'll already know a bit about this, but here's a quick recap as it relates to Scotland and England. In the 1530s, both Scotland and England split from the Catholic Church and set up their own respective faiths, both of which put a much less emphasis on the holiday of Christmas as a holy day. By the early 1600s, the frivolity associated with celebrating Christmas was so much of a nuisance that both the Scottish and English parliaments struck a ban on public celebrations. You may be familiar with a similar ban by the Puritans in America at the time. The English ban was lifted just a couple of decades later, but the damage was done. It was no longer fashionable to celebrate Christmas, nor was any particular religious significance put on it at the time. It would take a royal public display almost two centuries later to re-spark the interest in celebrating Christmas in England. More on that in a second. In Scotland, however, the lack lesser interest in Christmas would continue for much longer. This may have been for a couple of reasons. Firstly, their parliamentary ban wasn't lifted until the 1700s. Second, it's because there's a much more emphasis put on the Scottish holiday of Hogmanay which coincides with New Year's and involves very similar traditions to Christmas, such as feasting and gift-giving. For these reasons, businesses and schools remained open on Christmas Day, even into the 1900s. As for England, celebrating Christmas started to come back into fashion in the mid-1800s. It's no mystery that the Victorian era is idolized for its Christmas traditions, and the consensus is that Queen Victoria herself was the driving force behind it she married Prince Albert, who was German and brought over with him so many amazing Christmas traditions we're familiar with today, like gingerbread and Christmas trees, and possibly even candy canes. So while Charles Dickens, another influential figure in the mid-1800s, sometimes gets credited with inventing Christmas, I personally think that as Queen Victoria and Prince Albert are more accurately the mother and father of the most well-known English Christmas celebrations. So, now that we're caught up on our history, let's get into some specifics. What makes a British Christmas British? The first difference I would note is the beginning of the holidays. In North America, Halloween is a really big deal, as is American Thanksgiving. Side note, Canadian Thanksgiving takes place before Halloween, so it's less of a hindrance in relation to Christmas. In the UK, Halloween isn't celebrated by many, and there is no Thanksgiving. So, when it comes to starting the holidays, you'll easily see shops and stores start decorating for around late October or early November. On this topic, you should probably watch my YouTube video titled November 1st, the start of Christmas proven with science. In it, I mention the different timelines for when percentages of people think it's okay to quote, start celebrating Christmas. In it, I mention that for the most part after bonfire night, the 5th of November, most Brits are on board for decorating, shopping, and generally starting their festivities. Which is a huge relief for most of us Christmas nuts, who pretty much get on board in the burr months. But just like anywhere else in the world,
2: you'll still get a few holdouts. I'm certainly one for holding on decorating the house until December. That's Nadine. And even though she's a December
1: 1st she's still one of my best British friends. Nadine grew up in London and absolutely loves talking about the differences between our cultures. So, when it comes to British Christmas decorations, you may think it's all holly and ribbons. But as Nadine says, for the most part, you'll get the same sort of decorations as in North America. Decorations in the UK
2: probably sit somewhere between American and Scandinavian decorations. Certainly less big red bows and garlands than the US, probably less outdoor lights too although wreaths on doors are fairly popular.
1: I am going to mention one noticeable difference I have observed, and it has to do with the Christmas tree. In Canada, I'd say that it's almost more common to have an artificial tree than a real one. I don't know a single person in London with an artificial tree. Furthermore, most families' trees are, well, on the small side, Most of them are maybe five-foot total. I don't know if this harkens back to the Victorian tradition of tabletop trees, or if it's simply a symptom of living in London, where the largest tree one can get is the one that you can carry home. But in North America, I think we all agree that the size of your tree is determined only by the height of your ceiling. Next up, and maybe the most important bit, food.
2: So on the day, snacks tend to be mince pies, chocolates, nuts, that sort of thing. The main Christmas meal is turkey, stuffing, roast potatoes, Brussels sprouts, other vegetables, probably parsnips and carrots, all with gravy, possibly accompanied by Thin sausages or pigs in blankets that's wrapped in bacon. Of course, roast chestnuts and cranberry sauce. Once again,
1: very similar to North America. But there are a couple of hard and fast rules one must follow in order to have a proper British Christmas dinner. All of which Nadine casually mentioned already. First, pigs in blankets. I don't know about America, but in Canada, pigs in blankets are tiny cocktail sausages or hot dogs wrapped in a sort of pastry. Here, they replace the pastry with bacon, and you've got British pigs in blankets. I've only ever seen them available around Christmas time, which is a shame because, I mean, yum. Second, roast potatoes. You would not see a mashed potato anywhere near your turkey here. Although, I am told that Scotland favors mash over roasties for their Christmas dinner. Third, Brussels sprouts. Simply called sprouts here, not to be confused with the stir-fry or alfalfa variety. They are one of the most important aspects of British Christmases. In fact, they're a bit of a mascot for the holiday. At Christmas time, you can find cards, wrapping paper, hats, socks, baubles, and any other manner of decorations in the shape of these adorable little green veggies. This was probably the most unique aspect of Christmas in the UK I didn't know about before moving here. And finally, pudding. Brits use the phrase pudding to mean any kind of dessert, not just, well, pudding. And so it's no surprise that Christmas pudding isn't a pudding at all, but it's actually a cake. Brian has a blog post on the Christmas Past blog, which outlines the perfect Victorian Christmas dinner. And one of the stars of the meal is the Christmas pudding. Dark, usually ball-shaped, rich cake full of dried fruits, which is steamed for hours and hours. Oh, and if it's lit with brandy. Lit? Yes, Lit. Soaked in brandy, lots of it, and lit a flame. this is a very traditional aspect of Christmas in England. And although Christmas pudding, just like its cousin the fruitcake, isn't to everyone's taste, it's another icon and symbol of the British Christmas traditions. It happens to also be quite common in Canada, along with another dinner treat, the Christmas cracker. Not for eating, this is a cardboard tube filled with a paper hat, a small trinket gift, and a pun-based riddle joke. When you pull the sides, there's a crack of gunpowder, which gives this accessory its name. Each place setting at the dinner table gets one, and they're usually enjoyed right before or after the meal. So let's get to presents
2: then. Who brings them? When I was young, say two to three decades ago, I think we would say Father Christmas was coming. Now people increasingly say Santa or Santa Claus Very rarely, people will say St Nicholas, much more traditional, um, conjures up an image of a man in a green rather than red suit in some kind of wooded setting. Father Christmas fills up stockings, sometimes on the mantelpiece, usually at the end of the bed, for children that is. He might put one or two under the tree, but most
1: there are from friends and family. One of the signs that my daughter Lydia is transforming into a British child is that she was very insistent that she place her stocking at the end of her bed this past Christmas. Similar to this is another British tradition which I don't have much experience with, which is Father Christmas or Santa sacks, where children's gifts are left in a sack, usually burlap and sometimes personalized. Honestly, I couldn't find much about this tradition, but do know that it is growing in popularity in North America.
2: We have an extra little tradition in our family where when there are no more presents left under the tree, we replace them with small mini gifts for everyone there um, that we save for after dinner, and we call those tree presents. And I would always say, Merry Christmas.
1: As for songs and carols, once again, they're all very similar to the US and Canada with one minor addition, the Christmas number one. For the last 70 decades, the British public have been eager to crown the song, which is at the top of the sales charts on December 25th. If you've seen Love Actually, this is the ranking that Bill Nighy's Billy Mac is trying to achieve with his song Christmas Is All Around. Sometimes, but not always, it's a novelty or Christmas-themed song, possibly the most famous being Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid in 1984, and again in 1989. Although shockingly, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You is not on the list, but remains one of the UK's most favorite radio plays during the festive season, along with more modern British favorites like Merry Christmas Everybody by Slade, Wonderful Christmas Time by The Beatles, Thank God It's Christmas by Queen, and Lydia's favorite Merry Christmas Everyone by Shakin' Stevens. The final British tradition worth mentioning is the Royal Christmas Message. There are very few times of the year when the Queen speaks directly to the whole of the nation, and this is my favorite. The Christmas speech has been a tradition for the British monarch since King George V started doing it in 1932 by radio. The Queen's uncle did it for a couple of years before abdicating, then her father kept on the tradition, and was continued by Elizabeth when she became Queen. The message was moved to television in 1957. Written by the Queen herself, this speech usually touches on political and cultural aspects of the previous year, as well as milestones and anniversaries important to the UK public. So I hope you've learned a little bit about the history and traditions of celebrating Christmas in the United Kingdom. I hope you'll come back again next month, because we're going to be talking about the sunny summer beach Christmas traditions of Australia. Thanks again for listening, and as the Queen would say, happy Christmas!
0: Now, speaking as an American, I've tried traditional Christmas pudding many times, and it just doesn't do anything for me. Maybe you need to have grown up with it. On the other hand, I didn't grow up with Christmas crackers or mince pies, but now I couldn't imagine Christmas without them. Have you spent time in England? Or have you discovered any traditions from the UK that you've made your own? Chantel and I would love to hear about it. You can write either or both of us. I'm at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com, and Chantelle is at email at allthingschristmas.com. And make sure you stay subscribed, because again, Christmas past is now year-round. I'll be back again around Valentine's Day with another episode, and, I don't know, February is feeling like it might be a three-episode month. Maybe four. Who knows? There's so much wonderful stuff I want to share with you, and now that we're year-round, I can. Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks to Chantelle and her guest Nadine, and thank you for listening. If you're feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? You can tell a friend about it, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Both are quick and painless ways to show support for the show, and they help the Christmas family to grow. And if you leave a review, I'll send you a sticker to say thanks. Write me for details. We'll meet again soon, and until then, may your days be merry and bright.